All right, my dear friends, my name is Mano Elia, and you are listening to the study of stuff. This is the interview segment of the show. And what an interview I have for you today. I had a chance to interview Paul Selig. Now, before we get to that interview, I wanted to let each and every one of you know that the website is up, manoelia.com. Check it out. Subscribe so you know what's going down in G-Bar Town. My music's there. You got podcast things over there. Slowly but surely, you'll have a section that's uh, full of resources as well called resources and a wonderful button called Donate, where you can, if you choose to, donate. Uh, And we, of course, accept cryptocurrencies. But let's get to the interview with the wonderful Paul Selig. Now, I wanted to say a few words about his work. I've been a fan of Paul Selig's work for a while. I've been to uh, a seminar, uh, a couple of his online events as well. And I just wanted to say, I'm extremely picky when it comes to things like channeled material. But there is something unique and specifically different about Paul's work. It's hard to describe. His work is interesting, but most importantly, it's challenging. And if you've ever been to one of his events or one of his live streams, you'll notice that you feel something odd. So you actually experience the energy that comes through the channel. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Anyways, without further ado, here's my interview with the great Paul Selig. All right, and we are live, and this is The Study of Stuff. And today I have a very special guest, Mr. Paul Selig joins us today. Thank you, Paul, for doing the show. Thank you for having me. I am truly honored for you uh, to do doing the show. And um, I just wanted to kind of, before we get into everything, kind of give a little bit of story as to how I came into contact with uh, Paul Selig's work and how it's kind of affected my life. So uh, basically, the story is I was um, on YouTube looking around and I, uh, I, was, I was a fan of Mitch, Mitch Horowitz and Mitch Horowitz had this video where he's talking to this channel. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a little skeptic, uh, skeptical. I've, I've, uh, I've read a lot of channel work, whatever. Uh, but I thought, OK, I'll sit down and I'll watch this since it's, it's Mitch. So Paul and Mitch started talking. Uh, Paul makes a, a reference to quitting smoking uh, because the guy had asked him to and it kind of changed his, uh, his way of holding energy. And at that time, I was really, really struggling with smoking. That really encouraged me, and I kind of kept going. You also made some references to the all, and uh, that kind of uh, lit some um, lights in my, my mind because uh, it, it kind of, it's in a lot of the books I read, uh, the concept of the all. I'll get into that later. Uh, so that one day I go to the bookstore. I go to this Indigo store in the middle of nowhere, and I, start, I pick up the Book of Mastery, uh, one of Paul's books. I start flipping through it. And this lady sits next to me, and I'm not in a downtown area where it's common to find new agers. This lady looked very not new agey. And she turns to me and goes, great book. I said, oh, you, you're familiar? And she started telling me her, uh, her, her, uh, her um, experience with the book. And then she followed it up with, if he has an event, you should go. The next day, I uh, turn on my phone, and I go to Instagram, and there's an ad for a, an event that you were, you were having in Toronto. And I said, okay, um, that's kind of weird. I'm going to go. So I went, and um, as I was on my way to going to the event, I was in the middle of rewriting a song called um, Whis- The Whisper. And uh, the, oddly enough, I was also reading the book The Mastery. And within the book Mastery, it talks about a mountain, it talks about the voices and all this stuff, which was odd because that's kind of what was in this song I was rewriting. Anyways, uh, I got to the event, uh, met a lot of great people, and at the event, um, the guides actually swore 
And uh, Paul mentioned that it's not common for the guides to swear. And I found it kind of interesting because to me, swearing uh, is, there's an importance for me. So I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And um, the event kind of, uh, it was incredible. I did feel the energy that Paul is going to probably talk about and how, palp how palpable it is and all that stuff. But one of the strangest moments was uh, the day I decided to contact you, Paul, to ask you to be on the show. How that happened was odd. You had posted on, on, on uh, Facebook or something, some picture, and I thought to myself, maybe I should contact Paul to be on this podcast because this podcast actually has a lot to do with the event that I went to in Toronto where I spoke to you. You made a suggestion, and I took that suggestion, and that's what this podcast is. Um, but anyways, back to the, to the story. I'm sitting on the couch kind of going, nah, he's not going to. And I felt this weird presence. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to sh shoot him a message. And I did. And you responded. And I was kind of surprised and amazed. And here you are now on the show. And we're talking. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to start by introducing you to the audience. Uh, mm -hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about who Paul Selig is, uh, mm -hmm. how you kind of came to be, and if there was any mm -hmm. early experiences that you had that may have kind of foreshadowed what you're doing today sure you know if i can i you know i'm paul selig i work as a conscious channel i work with guides they dictate books through me there's now nine books in print that have been dictated over the last i think 10 11 years um i used to be a college teacher i did that for 25 years um I was also a bit of a skeptic about channeling. I'm surprised that this is now what I do and my, my work in this world. Um, the early experiences as a child where it was funny, I was thinking about them yesterday, actually, um, only because I, I, I stumbled across a video uh, of, of a place that I used to work, um, a college that I used to teach at in Vermont from 1970, which was the when I dreamt about, you know, being at that place when I was nine years old before I ever went there. So I had an experience when I was about five of some being hovering over my bed talking to me. It was an out-of-body thing. It's the only out-of-body experience I've ever had because I recall watching this conversation happen while floating at the top of the ceiling, looking down at my body in the bed and this being speaking to me. And then I had a few psychic things happening, including dreaming about this place that I would later end up working when I was nine years old. And then my family was driving through Vermont when I was 13 and I saw the place. And then when I was about 30, 31, I got an invitation to apply for a job there. And I was there for 19 years and 18 years or something like that. And I'm still I'm on the board of directors now, at least for this moment of that college. So those were the early experiences, but I honestly, I wouldn't have thought of myself as psychic and certainly not spiritual. Um, I was raised something of an atheist or my mom would say agnostic. And it wasn't until I was 25 um, when I really hit a wall in my life that I started opening up, you know, spiritually and psychically, you know, at the same time. Um, they both began at the same time, but it's been an ongoing journey for me. I mean, that's a long time ago. I'm 59 now. So, you know, I've been doing this work, you know, in one form or another for, for quite some time. But I was doing it very quietly for a very long time. I wasn't looking to be known for this. Um, and I don't know what else to say. You know, it's a, it's a funny life. It's been a funny journey. I don't think of myself as particularly special. That's not my experience. Um, but I do seem to have this sort of odd skill set 
that helps people. And I'm grateful for that, you know, and I'm still fascinated by the work that comes through me, although I may never fully understand it. Yeah, and we're also very grateful for the work as well. Um, I, I, I also, because you also do uh, psychic readings as well. Um, mm-hmm. Can you describe the process on how it feels from from within you, the difference between the channeling mm-hmm. and the psychic? Well, I always say I'm a radio, you know, and so I'm uh, when I'm tuned into my guides, they're the broadcast that I'm picking up on and they're teaching through me. Um, that's it. So I'm just taking dictation when I channel. I hear one word in my head. It sort of blocks out all my other thoughts. It's got its own specific quality and texture and tone. I give voice to that one phrase that I'm hearing, and then everything else tumbles out on top of it. And that's channeling for me. And the books that are out um, are the unedited transcripts of those teachings. We don't go back and fix them or order them. It's just... There might be three words in any manuscript that I mispronounce or stumble over. You know, mm-hmm. we can usually hear it because I whisper the words as they come and then repeat them. So it's easy to find um, when there is a misstep. And there's very, very, very few. The psychic work that I do is odd. I, they call me a medium for the living. So, you know, I'm not a spiritual medium. I'm not talking to your great aunt on the other side. But if your great aunt is living two towns away from you and you're fighting, I can probably hear her pretty well. So the difference is, is that, you know, when I'm reading for you, you're the station that I'm tuned into. And then if you want to know about a girlfriend or a relative or a boss, that's the station that I then play. I just flip back and forth between the stations and I hear and I feel and I often sort of begin to resemble the people that I tune into. So all that stuff I find is really interesting because it's all provable. You know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. The, you know, the name of, of your next door neighbor, you know, and if I step into your next door neighbor and I start to resemble him and her and I pick up on the argument that's going on, you can verify it yourself. And usually I can get people or hear people at different levels. So there's the personality self, which is the one who might be complaining about the neighbor and his noise. And then there's the part of you that might explain, you know, what you really need in this situation that you're not getting and what the real issue is, and perhaps how to attend to it. And I can also probably do the same with a neighbor. So people are often helped through that level of exchange. It's interesting that uh, that you gave that explanation, because I had Amit uh, Goswami uh, previously on my show, and I did ask him about uh, the process of channeling, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, how they relate. And uh, Uh he very much described it in the way that, from a scientific perspective, exactly how Mm -hmm. you just described your experience Uh with it. Interesting. yeah, and also Dean Radin, I'm uh, reading a lot of uh, Dean Radin lately, and his, uh-huh. uh, his description of channeling, um, and I think you've also mentioned it before, I believe it was the interview you did on, uh, at the Esalen Institute, where um, mm-hmm. you, you said that uh, Dean Radin described it to you as if you are kind of not going from point A to point B, but from within, you're mm-hmm. somehow making contact, which is similar to what Amit was referring to as the non-local space. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I've only met Dean once, and that was at Esalen. <coughs> Pardon me, we were both speaking at a conference, and I channeled there, and I was, and that was probably like one of the first times I channeled any place outside of my living room for the people that used to come see me in my home, and that is where I met Mitch Horowitz, who you mentioned, and Mitch published my my first books when he was the editor um, at, at Harcher Penguin. 
But yeah, it was Dean who explained to me that I wasn't traveling. I thought, you know, if I was reading for somebody in China, I was going to China. You know, I was like skyrocketing at the speed of light across to somebody's living room. And truthfully, sometimes I can describe somebody's living room, you know, in another location when I'm tuning into them. But um, he said, no, you're going in. You know, this is this is a different way of of understanding time and space. Um, Or maybe that's how I understood what he said. And that was very helpful for me at the time. I don't understand the mechanics of what I do. I'm assuming other people can speak to this. But I don't, you know, I'm not a trained medium, <coughs> certainly not a trained channel. So um, I just show up and hope that it's all working and that the apparatus is clear and that I'm effective. Yeah. And uh, having been to uh, to one of your events and also on some online events, I can say from experience, uh, there is something most certainly different and unique about how Paul channels. Um, I've followed many channels over the years uh, and I you know, I'm skeptical of some, whatever this and that, but uh, the, the thing about how Paul does it, and I witnessed this firsthand, um, it's uh, live uh, normally uh, in front of an audience, and yep. it happens so quick. Um, you repeat, and then you, you, you kind of mumble, and then you kind of say it. And at the, the rate as what you're going and the clarity of what you're saying and the profoundness of it, it it's very difficult to explain. And there is yeah. a feeling in the room. Uh, that you can, it's palpable, as you said. How does that feeling feel to you? Well, you know, I'm used to it at this point, but I still feel it. I'm channeling the guide's 10th book now. It's almost done. The last two sessions when I finished, I've got a little Zoom group that I'm doing this in front of because I can't channel alone. I feel completely stoned from these sessions, you know, and I don't use any drugs at all, but I'm like, what the hell is that? mildly dizzy. Um, And that's extreme for me. I don't usually get affected that way. For many, many, many years, I did this group that met in my living room. And I wasn't interested in what the guides were saying at that point. I didn't trust it necessarily because it was coming through me. But I was doing it because the energy that would come through was so tangible to me and everybody else that it was extremely real. And I liked that. I, you know, I, it was, it was, you know, if you're, you're in a group of people, a group of people and the guides come through and said, okay, we're going to put a hand on everybody's forehead. And then everybody feels that go yep. and we're all comparing notes. It really allowed me to begin to trust. And I was really interested in the phenomena and there's still phenomena attached to the work that I do. I mean, in the live workshops and even the online workshops, the energy is present there too. It is. But, you know, when the guides are working in groups and they pair people up and they work with the energetic attunements and they have them sending and receiving energies, most people can feel it, including people that have never felt energy at all. And for me, that was a real game changer. When I started to feel energy, that meant there was more to the world than I thought. The information to me was secondary. And as you said, it was really like I was like, I don't know, 48 or something. Um, when I, you know, I was a four pack a day smoker for a long, long time. And the guides pretty much said, you know, we want to keep working with you, but you're going to have to stop smoking in order for us to do this. And I quit the next day, I think, which was amazing. And that's when they began to lecture through me. Once I detoxed, that's when I just knew that they were speaking more. In fact, they had begun lecturing. And once I was willing to 
record and then transcribe the lectures, that's when they begin doing books. And now somebody else transcribes and, you know, I just, you know, do the audio books. I, I read the transcripts usually for the first time when I'm having to proof what goes back to the, to the publisher. Um, but that's been, that's been the metamorphosis of the whole thing. The energy has always been the key for me because you can feel it. Absolutely. You certainly can. And I've been, I've experienced it both, uh, online and at, uh, at an event. It's, it's quite uh-huh. remarkable. It's, it's undeniable really. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask about who the guides are. I know you've been asked this question before. And another synchronicity for me, when, when I was reading uh, the Book of Mastery, I believe that's where they, they, they refer to mm-hmm. who they are. The odd mm-hmm. part for me personally, and this is why I'm asking the question, is um, a name has followed me throughout my whole 20 to 30 years of uh, researching alternative uh, information. And that's mm-hmm. Melchizedek. It's come up many times in my life, including one of the authors I used to read a lot of was Drumvalo Melchizedek, as well as mm-hmm. the Kabbalion and many other things. There's constantly this reference. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they mentioned it in the book, The Mastery, I was like, I understand why I'm reading this book now. Uh, could you speak a little bit about um, who the guides are? I know that defining things is an issue, and I, mm-hmm. I understand that. No, I mean, I don't know a lot. I mean, I know enough to, to answer your question, I, I expect. You know, I... The name that they've given, they said, if you want to call us something, you can call us Melchizedek. They've also called themselves, you know, the Christ, which is a level of consciousness. They're not speaking about Jesus. But Melchizedek, if I understand it, is a priesthood, and it's an eternal one. Um, I There's one guy that I've seen visually a few times in meditation or under hypnosis, and um, I love it when I've seen him and I recognized him because that's what it felt like to channel him. It was mm-hmm. just, that's who I be, that's who steps into me. So it was very familiar. And that was a very distinct experience, but you know, it's really a collective and occasionally when I'm channeling, you can hear the differentiation and it's slight, yep. but in accent or word choice, there's one guy that likes to use the word deers, which is a word that I just can't abide, but it came up again in the newest book. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. So Melchizedek is, is the name. They say, if you wish to call us something, you may call us that. The reason that I don't get too caught up in names is that there's a fair amount of egoic investment in this stuff. And it's kind of like a form of spiritual materialism, I suspect you could call it. You know, when I was in my 30s and I was just beginning and opening up, you'd hear things like, well, there's an Archangel Michael channeling in Brooklyn, but the hot one is Gabriel. (laughs) And I thought, how ridiculous is this, you know? I think you can talk about the clarity or the effectiveness of a channel And um, I think, you know, some people may think they're channeling and maybe doing something other. But um, I I think that, you know, the sexy names are the sexy names. And and that's not my interest. My interest always has been in the quality of the the teaching. And is it in love? Is it helpful? Is it true? You know, and if it's fear-based, if it's spreading division, then I would have to question the source. Agreed. And, and that's something that uh, really draws me to, to this work is that, um, number one, it's exactly as you just said, there's a lot of quality to it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, it's not easy. 
it, it, a lot of things that you read, or there, there are a lot of spiritual bypassing, I, I guess I could say. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's nothing easy about this work. Uh, it's, it's very dirty. It turns your life upside down. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that about alchemy, and damn it, mm -hmm. when I started getting into alchemy, my entire life got torn upside down, exactly yeah. as you described. Um, yeah. So going into the teachings, I'd like to uh, really talk about, um, have you explain uh, the two attunements that uh, are, are consistent throughout the, the, the teachings. The first one being um, mm -hmm. uh, the, I, the I am word, and then mm -hmm. uh, the I, I know, because um, I want to get into breaking that down a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So if you could explain those two attunements, like I said, they, they seem to be pretty dominant. And to me, uh -huh. they're a great way of explaining consciousness in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. I'll try. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is explain what I understand an attunement to be. So the guides say we're all radios and we're always playing a broadcast and our consciousness is our broadcast. And so what they're doing with an attunement is tuning us to play the higher stations that are always available. I mean, imagine, you know, like your cable stations, there's junk, there's porn, there's arts, there's, everything is there, you know what I mean? And we're always watching something or tuned into something when the machine is on. Well, we're like that. Yeah. So the first attunement, which was to the word, um, came through when I was probably maybe 33, 34 years old in this little group. And I was very thrown by it, truthfully. Um, but it's, it's done through invocation. And the claim that was to be repeated by us that the guides gave was, I am word through my body, word I am word. I am word through my vibration, word I am word. I am word through my knowing of myself as word. Now the guides define the word as the energy of the creator in action. So they're claiming the physical self, um, body, the energetic field, you know, consciousness field, um, in vibration as the word, and then they're claiming identity. I am word through my knowing of myself as word. And it's a pretty tangible attunement. You can do it and then you can work with it. Yep. You can say, I am word through the one I see before me, word, I am word, I am word through my right foot. You'll feel the energy go. Yep. And the person that you're sending the energy to will feel it as well. I mean, it's something. That was the first attunement. The second attunement they brought through, which was in, I think, the Book of Knowing and Worth, which was, I think, the third book. Um, and they claim, I know who I am. And, they, and then in the Book of Truth, they modified it. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. So again, they say this is claimed by the true self who knows who it is. So in some ways, it's what happens is the affect of I am word through my knowing of myself as word. I know who I am, which is the divine self or the monad or the Christ or whatever you want to call it. Um, I know who I am. That's the who. I know what I am, which is the manifestation of it. And I know how I serve, which is the expression of it. Yep. And in truth means not at the level of personality and not at the level of sort of collective reason, what we think it should be. Because the guides say what is true is always true. So I'm in a male body. 
I'm, you know, so many years old, I do such and such for a living. And these are ways of knowing myself, but none of those things are who I truly am. And they're saying that the I am self or the divine self is what is being reclaimed through this teaching and manifestation. Yes. And uh, I find those very powerful because they actually allow me to kind of break down certain concepts or ideas I'm trying to like figure out in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. They're very, very, very like they're very powerful. And one day I was mm-hmm. sitting down and kind of, I like, I like code. I like figuring out yeah. mysteries and stuff like that. So one day I was sitting down mm-hmm. and I was kind of writing them out. And then I started to notice a little bit of a pattern between the two. And I'd like oh. to share it with you. And I kind of put them together. So it kind of goes like this. So I just changed the order and you'll see mm-hmm. why. I know what I am in truth. I am word through my body. Word. I am word. I know how I serve in truth. I am word through my vibration, word, I am word. I know who I am in truth. I am word through my knowing of myself as truth, word, I am word. Um, Mm -hmm. And then this phrasing kind of allowed me to understand the physical, mental, and spiritual planes, how they fit together, and how the all is within all, which is Mm -hmm. uh, something that wasn't phrased that way other than I I, uh, I saw that phrasing in the, um, the book of Mastery the all mm-hmm. and then also in the new book the kingdom there's an entire part where you kind of break down the all i found that interesting because mm-hmm. my favorite book before meeting your uh, work was the Kabbalion, and that's a very big mm-hmm. concept um, mm-hmm. of the all and i and i really like how it helps people understand that the the importance of divinity and the mm-hmm. importance of understanding that divinity and within all things is the all mm-hmm. is source and even, yeah. even I think you, you mentioned it in a couple of books about like the poo on the ground is also yeah. just as much holy as whoever. Yeah. And um, the focus on freedom, that is not mm-hmm. common amongst books that you read in the New Age. Uh, that's a really important thing today. I think we mm-hmm. understand why. Uh, and I really love the way that uh, your work uh, and the guides kind of uh, show freedom through the understanding of who you really are. And the way I kind of look at it is, who am I before I was born? Who will I be after I die? And my focus mm-hmm. is there whenever I feel low. Mm-hmm. It, does that sound uh, correct, how I've kind of analyzed I that? So. I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a way to understand it. I think it makes sense. Um, I do think that they're breaking down, you know, the physical, the energetic, and, you know, in the ways that you're saying. So I'm not surprised that they confirm in that way. I've always thought that the um in the rainforest with uh flying around my head um so yes it does make sense and there's a a a gecko on the wall and it's it's like crazy here i've got like the forest indoors today um so yeah it's 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 all what you say um and it's i think how the whole thing is built there's a real architecture to the guides attunements they build one on top of the other Um, I don't know that they're reinforcing the same ideas. They've said the claim, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, I am free, I am free, I am free, is there there each is notes played on a piano. Each has its own tone. And you can work with them individually. You can feel the vibrational difference. They say when all of those things are claimed at the same time, it becomes a chord as on a, you're a musician, so a chord is on a piano. And so they talk about being in a chord or in in vibrational accord 
with everything around us. So the level of vibration that we hold is confirming a reality for us. And the guides say we are all operating in an octave, a series of tones which make up the reality that we know. And they say like anything that's in song or in tone, it can be transposed to be played in a higher octave. And that's the work that they do with us. And that's the purpose of these attunements to align us to the higher from that place of I am free, I am free, I am free, which is not, I think, about my personality self's idea of freedom. Well, I don't have to go to work because I don't want to. Well, that's true. You don't. I think they're talking about a level of sovereignty at the level of one's awareness of one's divinity, which cannot exclude an awareness and a responsibility for the collective. Yep. You know, if, if I'm the great I am, then I know that you are too. So yes. I can't, you know, when the guides say what you, you know, what you bless, blesses in return, who you damn and what you damn, damns you back. So, you know, at the level of this higher accord, which they call the upper room, then everything else starts to happen. And that's when it gets really out there. And those are the books that they're dictating now. Yes. And uh, at the end, now we're at the end of the, the last trilogy. Uh, the, mm -hmm. And reading, I've, I've gotten through about half of Freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't want to, sorry, not Freedom, uh, The Kingdom. I didn't, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to rush through it. So I'm kind of like just reading it uh, on my own time. Sorry? You're, can you hear me? You're freezing up a little. Oh, yeah, sorry. I can hear you now. Okay, so okay. it must be my connection. So yeah, the, the, the kingdom. So I'm kind of halfway through it right now. Uh, and I'm finding that there's um, actually, there's been a different shift in tone in the last three. And mm -hmm. this one in particular, I know alchemy was like uh, a churning of the bottom of the ocean and all things yep. floating to the top uh, yep. and uh, how to deal with them as complicated and difficult as it seemed for me. Um, mm -hmm. But this new book, The Kingdom, it seems to kind of identify certain things that are occurring in our world right now, like humanity being at a crossroads is a common phrase mm -hmm. being used mm -hmm. recently, and you can really feel it. And the whole idea mm -hmm. of like lifting a stone to see what's on the mm -hmm. bottom, which is described in Book of Realizations, you, you mm -hmm. actually today, you can walk outside and you can see that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think nobody can deny that that is occurring. And yeah. I really like that there's a part in the book where you speak of, uh, you say, when humanity views sep uh, separate from source, um, it, they're accountable to the lower creations, war, uh, deceit of yourself and others. And I, it's very much something that speaks of what's occurring today. How do the guides or yourself, how do you guys view this time and how do we kind of navigate these troubled waters? Well, they talk about it because they're dictating another book now and they talk, they're talking about this every day. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, you know, it's we're in a great wave of change and it's going to continue for some time. We're at the beginning of it, I think, you mm -hmm. know, and what you have to learn to do is, is ride the wave, you know, and not try to attach to the stuff that sort of floats up to the surface, which is pretty much imagine you're in a great big tidal wave and there goes your kitchen chair. So you can grab onto your kitchen chair. It might support you for a bit. But the key is to sort of allow yourself the movement through change. Yep. This is how I understand it, because we're being brought to a higher place. And they've said, you know, humanity has made a choice to survive. That's what I've heard. The species will, will, will make it through 
this time, but we cannot if we continue along the lines that we've been doing, yep. which is war, separation, the denial of the divine in all things, and the earth, and all of those things. So they're speaking to this very, very directly, and they give very specific tools. You know, one of them is, you know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And I always have to say there's a distinction between fear and prudence. Prudence is it's raining, best to have an umbrella. Fear is, oh, my God, I'm terrified of the rain, you know, which isn't yes. going to serve you. Um, <clears throat> but the action of fear is to claim more fear. And then fear itself is separation, the belief that we're separate from the one beside us, separate from source. And they're really now in their work moving us towards an understanding of what union actually is and what that means. But they say it very simply, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's an impossibility. Yeah. You cannot be the light and hold another in darkness. And what you damn and who you damn damns you back. And so when we're in times of, of division and polarization, you know, knowing the divine self or the true self that knows itself as of the whole and is inclusive, not exclusive, I think is one of the ways to begin to move through this well. I, I agree. I, and I really like that they put it that way. Another thing that came up in the book that was quite interesting was uh, the reference to um, uh, civilizations past. Uh, Atlantis mm. was mentioned and a few previous civilizations in the rise and fall. Now, my mm -hmm. question is, um, because it's put in the, in, the, in the context that this has happened before and uh, kind of like we're going through something similar now. Um, mm -hmm. Is it safe to say that some of those previous civilizations may, I don't know if I want to use the word failed, but maybe weren't uh, as successful as they could have been? And are we being tested in a similar way today? I don't know if it's about being tested. I think, it, I think what we're dealing with is our own crap. You know, yeah. everything that's wrong is, our, is basically us. And what we've done and how we've chosen to deny the divine or if you want to call it, you know, the guides say the only real problem we have is, is, the, is our denial of the inherent divine. All things are holy, you know, they say, or nothing is. And it's a challenging teaching, but you don't get to really cherry pick. And, you know, if, if God is all things, then, you know, and everything is well, the guides say there's one note played, everything is of that one note. It's operating at different levels of tone and vibration. What's lower can be lifted, can be transformed. It's not transformed by damning it because that puts you down at the low level. You know, yeah. the guides have always said you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil. You know, so so it's challenging stuff. But has it happened before? I mean, they basically said yes. And it's all opportunity, finally. So I don't see this as test. I see it as opportunity. I do think that how we make it through this is in a lot of ways up to us. I was very encouraged when they said humanity is chosen as a collective to move to a higher way of being, that that's really what's happening. It's the evolution of the species. They've been talking about this since the very, very first book. It yep. said somewhere in I Am the Word... It's a tidal wave of change, you know, and we're riding it. We're the first in the generation. We, maybe, maybe me, I'm older than you, the first in the generation. And I've been told it's going to take a few generations for us to get our act together, or at least to realize ourselves in a higher way. Right now, we're dealing with, you know, what gets churned up when the wave starts to build, which is all yes. the mucky muck, 
you know, and we're getting to see it, which is the good news, because nothing gets changed until it's first seen. Right. And, and not denying what you actually see in front of you and kind of accepting what it is uh, and trying to lift it to the upper room. So that brings mm -hmm. me to that point, because that was a very big that was mm -hmm. I remember reading uh, the book of freedom, mm -hmm. where at the end of the book, mm -hmm. it's it, it kind of uh, everyone's welcomed to the upper room if they choose. And then from there, the, mm -hmm. the three books that followed were all about the upper room. Can you explain exactly. a little bit of how you see the upper room and how we can maintain our vibration to stay within the upper room? Well, they say the upper room is the next octave. You know, it's the next level of consciousness. They actually said it's the highest level of consciousness that we can have while maintaining form. But the upper room, I think, is just the entryway to this whole octave. An octave still is comprised of high and low notes. And I think we enter, you know, on the first floor and that there's more to realize there. Um, maintaining the upper room, I mean, they, they basically, they're saying in the book that they're, they're dictating now that the, the, the being in the upper room is actually for, for the students of the work is becoming more common than not. So that's becoming foundational, but for a period of time, it's not. The book Alchemy really addresses this, this whole process of getting going up and down. Because they say, you know, fear doesn't exist in what they call the upper room. It's a creation of the lower strata, the lower field. And if we want to get scared, we can, but we get to go back downstairs and have that experience. And they don't judge it. So, you know, fear is a teacher. It's just not the best one available, you know, and okay. we can learn to operate in a different way. So the aspect of you, I would suggest, that knows who he is, knows what he is, knows how he serves, is already there in the upper room. That's the part of you that already knows and is already realized and is seeking manifestation as you. And they say it occurs at that level of, of vibration or tone. The first claim of the upper room is the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come. I've, I'm here. I'm in this place. When they, were, when they dictated the end of uh, the Book of Freedom and they invited everybody across that threshold, I didn't know. I figured that was it. Okay, we're done. That's no more books. We're someplace else. Great. Before that, they had said to me, and it was interesting in a reading, I sat with somebody who asked my guides questions on my behalf because I was unhappy. And this person said, well, what about Paul? And they said, well, you know, Paul's job is to hold open the doorway so that others may walk through. And we both went, oh, no, that sounds just awful. I don't want to just hold the damn door, you know. Um, but I, I feel now that what they were referring to are the books. The books are a doorway for others to walk through. And at the end of the Book of Freedom, they said, and Paul, you get to come too. And I have to say my life is entirely different than it was, um, entirely different in ways I could not have imagined ever. Absolutely. Well, you're, you're, in, you're in Hawaii right now, right? You're in Maui, right? Yeah, I'm in Maui now, yeah. Last place I ever expected to be. Congratulations on the new house and all of that. Like, uh, I kind of Thank followed you. your story and I was like, I was really happy for you. I like, Paul looks really Thank happy. You. Yeah, I'm happy. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, I'm a sort of a professional curmudgeon, but, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I have a lot to be grateful for. I really do. Amazing. And now you have Lily with you as well, right? I do. My dog. She was in New York with a sitter for, for a good 10 months while I was here before I was able to get her shipped. So. That must have been quite the reunion, having her see you and you see her. 
I was happy about it. She was kind of like, oh, screw you. You left me for months. <laughs> I'm not with you anymore. But we've worked it through. That's amazing. You know, she's, having a lot of, she's having a really good time, except she, she licked a toad last couple of weeks <laughs> ago and was tripping. So my poor dog was like, I caught a really? call friend. The dog's hallucinating. Leave her alone. Yeah, I had to wash her mouth out. Anyway, to tell you, you have to watch out for licking the toads on the mouth. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the first uh, dog DMT trip I've ever heard of. I didn't know it was possible, but I guess it is. So. That's amazing. So, uh, Paul, uh, how are the new books coming uh, along, and where can people find your work? Well, I mean, the books are available in any bookseller, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound. It's all there. They're going to get at your local bookstore, hopefully, um, and online. And through my website, you know, there's links there to order. Um, and my website is just my name. It's paulselig.com. Um this new book, The Kingdom, has been out just about three weeks, I think, now, and seems to be doing well in the world. People are, are enjoying it, from what I hear. And uh, they began dictating their 10th book um, at the end of July, so about five, six weeks ago. And they're almost done, um, I'm assuming. I, I don't have a total page count yet, but I think it's around... 270 now and the pages are rarely much longer than that one of them was like 500 pages which was insane but so and that's really interesting stuff and i'm really grateful because i didn't know what they were going to do after the kingdom and i wasn't prepared for new teachings usually when i was on tour all the time and working they would sort of begin the ideas for the next book while i was on the road so that i when they started the actual dictation, some of the material was a little familiar to me. Like it was, I wasn't struggling against the concepts. This is a whole other thing, this book. And they just went boom. And they're they said they were delivering it fast because then I wouldn't have time to object to the, to the contents, which is true, you know. So that the books are doing fine. I'm, I'm curious about the next one. It'll, I'm assuming it'll be out next year this time. Um, but yeah, that's the story. Well, I, I really look forward to it and I thank you so much for all the, all the work you do and, um, you know, holding the door open for us. Uh, no. I, I, want, I want to personally thank you for that. Like, That's it can't be easy. Uh, and uh, before we go, I just wanted to read right out of the, the book. So I did this thing, which I do often once I can find it, where I just flip through a book. I have a question yeah. in mind and I flip through a book yeah. and then I just read it. So I did yeah. that before this uh, interview. Right. And here's uh -huh. what, I, what, I, what I came up with. I found it very interesting. It says, what a privilege it is to be in form. What a privilege it is to grow old. What a privilege it is to realize that the vine is in all things, inclusive of the form of what you have taken. Uh, and I just, I mean, it keeps going. And I think that kind of sums up the last year, well, the last year and a half for me and mm -hmm. what it is I need to focus on to, to be mm -hmm. appreciative of the form that I'm in. Mm -hmm. uh, and to ask why I'm in this form and mm -hmm. the who. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just uh, thought I'd read that. And... Thanks for sharing that. I, I don't recall that. It was nice for me to hear that too. Yeah, it was very helpful. Paul, mm -hmm. uh, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this. I really do appreciate it. It was great. My pleasure. My pleasure. Take good care. You too, my friend.